You're too funny. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Ay, ay, ay. I think I started something. Yeah, sorry about that. For those of you who are visiting, that is not my normal walkout music. And that is slightly embarrassing. It is now. I don't think so. Hey, uh, Norvut didn't mention one thing, and I, I'm going to bring it up again a little bit later in the sermon, but um, immediately following the service, uh, if you want to come down, Paula will be down here. Paula is the person that does connections, uh, and she would like to sign you up for baptism. So if you've said yes to Jesus, and you have not been baptized yet, today's your day. And you don't have to ask the Lord if you're supposed to get baptized, because the scripture has already told you. So get baptized. So come on down, talk to Paula, and we'll get that going. So good morning. We're uh, continuing our series on Luke. Um, and I want to kind of walk through just a few foundational truths that I just think we need to uh, uh, put out there. I've been sitting in a lot of lectures lately. I've been reading uh, a great deal of books lately about the health of the American church. And there is a common thread that runs through these books and these lectures that there is an epidemic of sorts in the American church um, some would say that many of the churches have made Christianity too safe and made Christianity way too easy. Um, some of the speakers and authors that I've heard have said that we've kind of sold out um, on Christianity, um, replacing truth and doctrine with feelings and entertainment. So we're in this series that we're calling Absolute, and it's a walk through the book of Luke and um, Really, what we're trying to say is that we believe and we teach that there really is an absolute truth, that truth is not relative, that the scriptures are the truth that we can live by. And the, the other reality is if we're really going to teach the scriptures, if we're going to teach what the Bible really says, it is not safe and it is not easy. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself and you got to pick up your cross Right? Jesus said, if you want to have life, you got to lay down your life. Well, look, picking up your cross, denying yourself, laying down your life, none of those are easy or safe statements. Christianity is not about easy or safe. What we're going to see in today's passage and what we're going to see throughout this series is that walking with Jesus, growing in our faith, faith is, is hard. It takes courage, it takes heart, it takes dedication, but I can tell you this, there is no other path to life. There is no other path to, to having what, you, your, your, what your soul longs for the most can only be found in Christ. I've learned as I've grown up that the hardest things in life require much of me. So being married for me is, it's hard. It's, it's required a lot. It's required sacrifice, but it's the greatest thing there is. Having children, if you've raised children into adulthood, then you've discovered that there's some heartache that comes with it. There's difficulty that comes with it. There's dedication and hard work that comes with it, but who we wouldn't trade that experience for anything. You know, the greatest thrill that I've had in my life, the greatest joy that I've had is doing the work of being here at the church and being your pastor. But I can tell you, it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. There is a correlation between hard, difficult, pouring your life into it and in what you receive back. And the same is true with walking out our faith. It is hard, it takes courage, but it is the most life-giving thing you will experience. Grab your Bibles, 
electronic readers, my encouragement to you is to use whatever you use to study at home, bring with you, have that open. If you want to use the Bible under your seat, that's great. If you're using your phone or an electronic version, that's great. Turn to Luke chapter three. We're going to read verses two through 20. I want to encourage you to take notes on the back of the bulletin. There's a spot and you don't have to write down everything I said. Somebody came up after the first service says, I got everything down except, I don't know how they could do that because I know I talk fast, but somebody was writing really, really fast and keeping up with me. But anyway, write what God stirs in you. So when you're listening and you feel like you ever have that nudge, like that's just for me, write it down and then go back to it. It's just a good way of kind of locking some things into your mind. So write it down. If you want to post on Facebook, if you want to let people know you're here at Grace, that's great. If you hear something that moves you and you want to tweet it or Instagram it, I always feel so silly when I say those things. But anyway, we want to encourage you to do it. We want to tell people we're learning truth here at Grace, so feel free to do that. So this morning, I've asked my good friend CJ to come up. And CJ is going to read our passage. It'll also be on the screen with you. So would you welcome CJ Lemansky to this team? Good morning. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. I'm starting at verse 2, and I'll be reading through verse 20. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing hold and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Good. Thank you, CJ. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, the truth that this is the word of the Lord. This is your inspired word that it gives us life, just to sit and hear the word spoken over us. Lord, we receive what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would guide my 
uh, words over these next few minutes. I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have for us. Our prayer this morning is the prayer we have every Sunday is that people would interact with the living God and leave different than they came. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So we've spent the last several Sundays looking at the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, and what we've been seeing is that God is at work in the lives of the people, that God is bringing about this fulfillment of scriptures in the fullness of time. God is up to something. And we've, we've seen all of these different uh, prophecies come true and, and remembering that Luke is writing to you and I this letter so that we can be sure in our faith, so that we can be certain, so that we can have absolute faith. So he, he paints this beautiful picture and showing us how all of these events are the fulfillment of the scriptures and the prophecies. And then we get to the end of chapter two and, and Luke writes this transition statement, if you will, that leads us into the passage that CJ read for us. And in 2.52, Luke writes, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I know this isn't the passage that CJ read, but it's pretty important for us to start there. The passage says that Jesus grew. He increased. He advanced. He continued to learn. He continued to grow. He grew in wisdom and he grew in insight. He grew in skill and he grew in intelligence. Jesus matured and grew in favor with God in favor with man. Now we got to stop and think about that for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, grew in wisdom and stature. And what it should remind us is that we need to do the same thing. We need to grow in wisdom. We need to grow in stature. We need to, to perfect our, our skills. We need to grow in intelligence. We need to understand God more and more. And that needs to mature us. We see Jesus growing up, not just getting bigger. Some of you have grown up, but you haven't actually grown up. And if you're wondering if it's you, you should just look over at your wife and she'll either nod yes or no. But Jesus grows up. John grows up. And when we get to chapter 3, we actually fast forward the tape, if you will, about 18 years. Now John the Baptist and Jesus, they're men and, and they've begun their, or they are beginning their public ministry. The second part of verse 2 that CJ read in chapter 3 says, The word of the Lord, the word of God, came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Church tradition holds that John the Baptist and his family were part of a Jewish sect that had moved out to the wilderness to prepare their hearts, to prepare themselves for the coming Messiah. Before Zechariah even had that prophecy in the temple, there was thought that they were probably already living in the wilderness and they were already knowing that something was about to come, but they were preparing themselves for the Messiah. John lived in the wilderness and it's there that God met him. And here's the deal. There's a thread that runs throughout the scriptures where God continues to bring good out of the wilderness. 
So you think about the Exodus story and the people wandering through the wilderness. There's a picture of that. I don't know if you know it, but when David went through his wilderness experience after he was already anointed king and Saul is chasing him, some say that he probably spent as much as 10 years in the wilderness, that something that God was doing in the wilderness for David before he was ready to actually be king. There's something that God was doing in the wilderness for the people during the Exodus story. We see the wilderness imagery throughout the Psalms. We see it really throughout the scripture. Over and over, we see good coming out of the wilderness. The word of the Lord, the word of God comes to John in the wilderness. So the first application that we can make from today's passage is if you want to grow, Jesus had to grow, he had to mature. If you want to grow and receive all that God has for you, then you must receive what God has for you in the wilderness. If you desire to grow, you must Receive what God has for you in the wilderness. Another way of saying wilderness is just difficulty. When things are hard, when things are difficult, God gives us this opportunity to learn to trust him, to put our trust completely in him. I had a mentor once tell me that people seldom grow apart from difficulty. God uses the difficult circumstances in our life to grow us if we receive what God has for us in the wilderness. So wilderness could be grief. It could be seasons where you've lost a job before you've found another job. It could be just seasons of waiting on God. It could be a health issue that you're facing. It could be a financial crisis. There's all kinds of wilderness experiences that we go through and that God wants to use those to bring about something in our character. One of the different ways of saying this is if you do not trust God in the hard times, you will not trust him in the good times. So the word of God comes to John and it becomes the basis or the launching pad for his public ministry. And he becomes the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. So John quotes, or excuse me, Luke quotes Isaiah 4. Says the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is worth a couple minutes for us to think about. John is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And his mission statement is to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. His mission statement is to make the path straight, to fill in the valleys, to shave off the mountains. But the question that really, you know, we know that that's metaphoric. So what does it really mean? So let's just be clear here. So I started with talking about the fact that Christianity following Jesus isn't easy. So is, the, is what, what Luke is trying to say is John's job was to make following Jesus easy? No. Here's the deal. John was sent to help people to have a clear line of sight towards Jesus. He was there to help them to see Jesus when he arrived. So think about it this way. If you are walking down a trail, if you're in the woods, if you're in the wilderness in Jerusalem, first of all, it's super hilly country, you're walking down a trail. If there is a curve in the trail, you can no longer see any further than that curve. You don't know what's beyond the curve. If you're walking on a trail and you go into a valley, you can no longer see any further than the hill that's in front of you. 
So this is a picture of, of laying the ground flat and making the path straight. So when I stand on the path and I look down this aisle, no matter how far it goes, I can see what's coming. Here's the deal. That is our ministry. We are called to make the path straight. We are called to shave off the mountains, to fill in the valley, so that when people see us, they see Jesus. We can be an obstacle. We can be a stumbling block for people not being able to see by the way we live our lives, by the way we love the people around us. But what he's saying is, I am here to help people to have a clear line of sight to Jesus. This isn't about the ease of walking out our faith. This is just about making Jesus known. That's the ministry of John, is to make Jesus known. I have no idea where I am in my notes, so give me one second here. I get all excited. It's okay. Look at verse 7. So it says that the crowds came out to be baptized by him. And, and John says to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I find this fascinating. So John has a ministry and the people are coming in masses to see John. Something is going on. They don't even know what's going on, but something spiritual is happening. Something profound is happening. And the people are coming in masses. And so John greets them exactly the way I would never expect. So if you go to seminary and they teach you preaching, they, they really don't tell you the best way to start a good sermon is with some name calling. Like really go be as insulting as you can. But what does John say? He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that to come? John who grew up in the wilderness, uses a wilderness analogy. So when the heat was at its highest in the, in the summer months and it would bake the land in the wilderness, the snakes would come out of their normal hiding places, out of their holes because it was too hot. They would be searching for some kind of refuge from the heat, trying to find a place of shade to get away from it. So the serpents would literally come out of hiding. And so John is saying to the people, are you here because the heat's too high? Are you just here because you're uncomfortable with the heat or is something more going on in your spirit? He's challenging them to think deeper about what's really going on. He's asking them, are you just trying to escape the heat or is something else going on? It's a great question for us. Are you just looking for relief or is there something more going on? Look at verse 8. John says in verse 8 that we are to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. The word repentance means to turn around. It actually literally means to change your mind. But in this case, we're talking about something spiritual. So it really means to turn your mind, your heart back towards God. So if you're going in a direction and it's away from God, that repentance would be to see where you're going, to see how it's not what God wants, and to turn and go back towards God. It's a changing of your mind, but it's going back to God. Repentance for the sake of avoiding pain, repentance for the sake of getting out of the heat isn't really repentance at all. It's just pain avoidance, right? Sometimes we're just sorry because we got caught and we don't want to deal with the consequences anymore. But repentance is rooted in turning our hearts back towards God, of seeing who God is, of seeing God's character, of seeing the love of God in such a way that we feel the pain of the fact that we have not done what this God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination has called us to do. 
So John is telling us, if you desire to grow, like Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and you're supposed to grow in wisdom and stature, if you desire to grow, you have to receive what God has for you in the wilderness, and you have to repent. Repent means to turn back to God. And here's the deal. This is a daily activity. So some of you would say, well, I already did that. I prayed that prayer, so I'm all set. I said, Lord, forgive me for everything I've ever done. I'm, I'm covered, right? That's all you got to say, and you got it made, right? And I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to take communion here near the end of the service. And this is really an ordinance established by Jesus himself so that we would come to the table and we would inspect our own lives and we would see those areas of our lives that grieve the heart of God, that make God sad, and we would repent. We would turn our lives back to God. Repentance is a daily activity. Some of you need to repent for the first time. All of us need to repent over and over and over. Repentance is something we have to go back to all the time. He continues in verse 8. John the Baptist, and he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, he's saying, be careful, be careful. Don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to, to, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. He said, look, don't be deceived because you're God's chosen people. Don't think you got it made because you're an Israelite. He says, Doug, don't think just because you're a pastor, this doesn't apply to you. Hey, we'd get this wrong all the time. So I know this, and I'm not trying to step on your toes. Well, maybe a little bit. But some of you say, well, I've been going to church my whole life. I've been a Christian since I was a baby. I pray, I read my Bible, I, I do all these things. And John say, no, no, those are good things. Going to church is a good thing. We encourage you to be at church. We encourage you to read your Bible. We encourage you to pray. But this isn't what repentance is about. You get it? There's something different. It's about turning our hearts to God. Your culture, your activities, your position isn't going to save you. It's the gospel of Christ that does the saving. So John's rallying cry, if you will, if he was at his one-point sermon here is bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so when he says those words, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, if you look at verse 10, the people say back to him, what shall we do? Come up on the screen. It'll be much easier for me. Thank you. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. This is what John says. And the people say back to him, what then shall we do? This word do and this word bear are the same root word. And so if you think about it, what he's saying is bear, produce, do, right? So when you repent, there's something that you will produce in your repentance, And so the people who are tied into every word, John says, what will we produce? If I repent, what will I actually produce? This is so important. This is why it's so critical that we always read scripture in context. Because if you just took John's response to that question, then you would have a great formula for how to be okay with God. Well, I just need to give away one of my tunics. First, I need to get some tunics because none of us actually have tunics, but we got to get some tunics. I got to give away some of my food. Some of you brought bags of groceries today. Okay, check that box, right? So he's going through a list, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When you repent, there is a transformation that takes place in your character, and then you begin to bear, produce this certain kind of fruit, If you desire to grow, you have to receive what God has for you in the wilderness and you have to repent, turn back to God. And when you grow, 
when you grow and mature, you will bear fruit. You will produce fruit. The fruit of godly repentance is generosity, it's honesty, and it's humility. Let me show you that in the passage. Verse 11. He says, whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Here at Grace, we believe there are six essentials to your spiritual growth. One of those six essentials is generosity. Look, we didn't put generosity on there because we need more of your money. It's not a money grab. Generosity is a matter of your heart being repentant and turns toward God. Because here's what happens. When you truly turn towards God and you see that all God has given you, when you see all that God has poured out on you, when you see all that you have, the scriptures say freely you receive, freely give. When you really know all that God has for you, you go through something that transforms who you are. You repent, turn back to God, and you become a generous person. And it's way more than your money. It's your time. It's your talents. And I would tell you, I think it's harder to give your time than it is your money. It's easier to write a check than to sit across the table from somebody who's really hurting. So to be generous is to hold all of that stuff, all of it loosely and say, God, it's, it's yours anyway. Do with it as you want to do. The fruit of repentance is generosity. Another fruit of generosity is honesty. Look at verse 12. It says, the tax collectors came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we produce? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. How would you like to have a job that's synonymous with sinner? If you read through the New Testament, almost anywhere you see tax collector, it's connected to sinner. The sinners and the tax collectors, the tax collectors and the sinners. How would you like to have that job? Some of you are actually thinking about the modern day equivalent of a job associated with sinners, but I'm not going to mention any because I don't want any emails later. But in the ancient world, the tax collectors, they were part of a sort of pyramid scheme. You see, they would, they would have to go and collect the taxes, but they would collect a little more or a lot more than what was owed, and then they would line their pockets with the extra. But they would make sure that they got enough that they could also give some to their boss, and their boss would make sure they got enough that they could give something to their boss's boss. So the reality is, if I were a tax collector and I didn't collect extra, then I wouldn't be able to give my boss extra. And in, and in essence, I would lose my job. It really was the structure of the day. It's kind of the way things were set up. And so the people would probably say to themselves, well, that's just how it is in today's society. And can I tell you, that is a dangerous statement to ever come out of your lips. Well, that's just how it is. I have to do that at work because if I don't, I'm going to get fired. Some of us compromise what we know to be right because we're worried about our job security. Some of us compromise what we know to be right and we don't have any job security issues laying on the line at all. So you cheat on an expense report. It's just a no big deal. It's a little fudge here or there. Or you fudge a little bit on your tax return. Here's the deal. When you turn your heart to God, when you truly repent, when you see who God is and you see all the mercy and grace that God has poured on you, it changes your character and you will want to be honest in every aspect of your life because you'll know if I'm not honest with God, it hampers my connection to God. I want a, an un hindered connection to God and being honest is one of the ways I can do it. Being honest in everything that I do. The fruit of godly repentance is generosity, it's honesty, 
and it's humility. Godly repentance produces humility. The people who hold all the power, the Roman soldiers, come and say, what will we produce? We ought to stop and think about this. The Roman soldiers, these aren't the Jews. This guy's out in the desert. He's doing this baptism thing. He's talking about Old Testament stuff, but the Roman soldiers are there. And I'm not exactly sure why they're there, but I know eventually the gospel makes it to Rome. And maybe these are the guys that help be a part of the early church in Rome. But they're there and they say, well, John, if we get baptized, if we repent, what will we produce? John says, don't extort money. This is verse 14, sorry. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. Be content with your wages. The word exhort there actually means to shake violently. Do not shake the very people you are called to serve. Saying lead with humility. What is our mission statement here at Grace? We are... Wow, that was... Uh, let's do that one more time. We are? So when we grow, when we mature, like Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with men, when we grow up, when we grow more and more like Jesus, our lives, our character, our everything we do begins to bear the same type of fruit that Jesus bore. Our lives begin to look more and more like Jesus. And I can tell you, the more your lives begin to look like Jesus, the more you make the paths straight and the valleys full and the mountains low because the more people are gonna see Jesus in you. So you help people to have a clear line of sight to Jesus. But one of the character traits of walking with Jesus, of being like Jesus, is humility. The greatest display of humility ever shown to man was in the life of Christ. The scriptures say that Jesus, in being very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't consider his equality with God something to be held onto. And then it says he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant, but not just a servant a servant who was willing to go to the cross so that you and I could have life in the Father. Jesus had everything, and he laid it down to serve you and I. It was the ultimate display of humility. And if you are going to be like Christ, then you are going to have humility as a part of your character. When you repent, when you turn your heart back to God, humility will be part of what comes out of that repentance. John the Baptist models humility in just a few verses later. So look at verse 16. The people started coming to John, and I don't know everything that was going on around that river, but it must have been pretty cool because the crowds are coming, and now they're asking themselves, is he the one? Their hearts are longing for a Messiah, and they're like, he, nobody's come like this before. We haven't seen anything like it. Maybe he's the Messiah, and John wants to make sure he settles the score here, makes it straight. So he says in verse 16, no, 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 no. I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So if you were a first century Jew and maybe you struggled financially, one of the things you could do is you could become an indentured servant to a more wealthy Jewish family. You could become a slave to that family. So there were Jewish slaves, and the people that were Jewish slaves were instructed, 
Never stoop to the level of untying your master's sandals. Leave that job for the Gentile slaves because it is beneath you. Think about that. Let that one hang for a minute. Never stoop to that level. It's beneath you. Let the Gentile slaves do that. This is part of what makes Jesus washing the disciples' feet so profound. He humbles himself and washes their feet. And John is saying, look, I'm not even worthy to untie the master's sandals. He humbles himself. If we're going to grow, if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, if we are going to repent the fruit that we will bear in our lives, we will be generous, we will be honest, and we will be people known by our humility. There's something else that's easy to miss in reading this passage that's really important for us to see. We have to cover it this morning. If Jesus came to save us, if repentance ushers in the grace of God to save us, then we must need to be saved from something. Let me put it this way. If you were about to step into the street and a truck was about to hit you and I pushed you out of the way, then I would save you. But if there was no truck and I pushed you, then I just assaulted you. There's no saving necessary. So, so here we have this picture of, of, of us needing salvation. And, and what I want you to see is there must be something that we need to be saved from. So look at verse 17. It says, that, talking about Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. I remember on one of our short-term mission trips walking through a very small, very poor village in India and the women were sitting around the pile of wheat and straw and they were breaking it up and then they would throw it up in the air and the wind was pretty strong and it would blow the, the chaff and it would blow the straw away and the wheat would fall back down to the ground. This precious wheat that these hungry, poor villagers were just that was their lifeblood and it would fall down and they would collect it, but they would throw it up again and more chaff would blow away and they would throw it up again and more chaff would blow away. There is this picture here of Jesus separating the good from the bad. This is serious stuff. It says his winnowing fork is literally in his hands. If we do not repent... If we do not turn our hearts back to God, we will miss out. I know it's not popular or politically correct, but hell is real. Hell is real. And I'm sorry, I know Rob Bell is a gifted writer, a great speaker, but he is wrong. And the preaching that he's putting out there is dangerous stuff. Hell is real. And the passage says that Jesus is separating out. And there is a group that will be an unquenchable fire. John's ministry was a ministry of repentance, of turning the hearts of the people back to God. And the ministry continues today. Part of John's ministry was to baptize people. And you read this passage, and when I read it, I, I ask myself, what's the deal with baptism? Why did John 
baptized? Why was it so important for Jesus to be baptized? I sat in my office when I was doing sermon prep, and I was thinking, like, man, what do I say about baptism? What's the deal with baptism? Let me just tell you real quickly. Baptism does not save you. The scriptures are clear. You are saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. If baptism saved you, that would be a work. And the scriptures say you're not saved by work, so it doesn't save you. But here's the deal. Something supernatural takes place in the baptism tank. Something beyond my understanding. There is a spiritual. When Jesus was baptized, the spirit of God descended upon him. There is something spiritual that takes place when you are willing to step into the baptism tank and get baptized. There was something going on in that river that was beyond just some kind of rite, some kind of ritual. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. You have said yes to Jesus, and you want the church and the people and your family to know. Why? So that they can have a clear line of sight to Jesus. I am here to tell you that I represent the living God, and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And so you proclaim that when you go into the baptism tank, and it is absolutely a matter of obedience and humility. When you say yes to Jesus, the next step is to be baptized, to believe and be baptized. We see baptism modeled in this passage, and my encouragement to you is, if you've said yes to Jesus, come down after the service, talk to Paula, get signed up, let's get you baptized, because it is the next obedient thing for you to do. There is another important practice, another ordinance that was put into place for us to participate in, and it's communion. Communion is the ministry of repentance. The scriptures tell us that every time you come to the table, that you are to stop and examine yourself. That you are to ask yourself, Lord, show me. Lord, help me to understand where I've offended you. We have a chance to do that this morning, to take communion together. The scriptures say, oh, take this very seriously. It actually says some of you are sick because you've taken this too lightly. If you have aught with your brother, you're to make things right with them before you come to the table. If you are not living in a way that honors God, then you are to make that right before you come and take of the elements. Here at Grace, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, even if you're a guest here, not a part of Grace, then we encourage you to participate with us when we do communion. We just ask that you've said yes to Jesus. If you haven't, I encourage you to say yes to him. Take communion today as a follower of Jesus for the first time. Repent. Turn your heart back to God. So I'm going to ask the servers to come down. They're going to hand out the elements. I'm going to ask you to hold them, and we'll take them together, and then we'll sing a song after that. But I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, would you search me and know me? Would you see if there's any offensive way in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? Lord, would you search me and know me? And would you show me if there's any offensive way in me? Would you lead me in the way everlasting? And when God shows you what he shows you, give it back to him. Just say, Lord, I I don't want this. I want to turn my heart back to you. I want to walk with you. So give that back to God. That's repentance. So repent and give it back to God and pray, Lord, give me the spirit of God so that I can live my life differently going forward. So we're actually going to do things a little bit different this morning. We don't usually do this, but we're going to let it sort of sit quietly. 
No music while the elements are handed out. Just hold the elements. I'll be back up in just a minute. We'll take them together, and then we're going to sing.